What is up, Nux? It is officially opening day. I know we had a couple games last night. Uh, maybe I should say this is technically opening day. That was officially opening day. But this is technically opening day where we have all of the games on deck. A little perturbed that we don't have games going right now. It's 11.15 in the morning. Usually on opening day, we get those games starting at like 10 a.m., I guess they're just pushing the schedule back to try to maximize the TV viewership. But I mean, come on, everyone's at home anyways, most of us. So we're going to watch. So put the damn games on. I wish that they, we had some already. Anyhow, I've got the day off. ADP Corporate a month or two ago said, hey, take a couple days of PTO. They're trying to they're trying to lessen their liability on, that, on the PTO uh, before they close their books on June 30th more attractive uh, year-end close, um, looking at the balance sheet. So I thought, well, I'm not going anywhere. What better day to take off an opening day? So I'm at home. I'll probably crack a beer around noon or so. Haven't done that yet. But before, I figured let's throw together a quick little solo shot. There's been there's a prevalence of injuries and COVID cases that have prompted a flurry of free agent activity. We're going to talk about those moves. The Jays are officially off to Buffalo for the 2020 season. Some comments on that. And then at the end, a special announcement from MK Media regarding a new show coming to the MK Airwave. So let's start with the free agent move, which really is effectively the, the decimation of Commission's watch list. A lot of these guys here were on my watch list. I guess I can't bitch and moan that everyone's having to backfill injuries of, of better players um, with guys who are on my watch list. I've been pretty lucky so far on the injury and the COVID front. Going back a week or two ago to Ken, picking up Starling Castro. Starling Castro, never too high on my list. A high contact, largely empty batting average guy. He's got a couple 20 homer seasons on the back of his baseball card, but limited power. Couple that with a low walk rate that explains a 735 career OPS. Somehow, despite being a 10-year veteran, he's only 30 years old. I knew he came up young. Didn't realize he was that young. At this age, it's difficult to envision any sort of breakout. However, can take a solid batting average to the bank he's probably going to hit 280 or so this year maybe more and he's slated to hit in the heart of that nationals order so the runs and the rbi opportunity is definitely there he's pretty stable uh, and then you add in the second and third base eligibility which i think is even more important this season that's something that obviously at the time of the draft i didn't know we were going to be going through such a unique season but i put a little bit of a premium a dollar or two on those multi-eligible guys for a couple of reasons. One, you get to maximize the playing time on a daily basis by being able to jumble your lineup to accommodate all of the guys who are in their MLB lineups on any given day. And then you also get to approach the waiver wire from a position agnostic point of view. You, you can pick up the best bat or your favorite bat, not necessarily the bat who you kind of like, but fits a positional need. So nice little multi-eligible guy there with a pretty high floor in Starling Cash Show. Don't think anything spectacular is going to come of that but a pretty solid pickup from our champ, from our two-time champ. My bad, all respect to there. Sticking at the Keystone bag, the man picked up Robinson Cano. I don't have to break down Robbie Cano for you guys. 37 years old. He's clearly in the twilight of his career. It's just a matter of how long he can hang on. Uh, a fall from grace last year was supported by some pretty lackluster stat cast numbers, at least relative to his usual performance. As the man pointed out, though, when he picked him up, he is slated to hit third at this time. And I'll take the three-hitter in almost any lineup. Maybe pass on the Giants. I don't know what the fuck that squad was they ran out there last night. I knew they were going to be bad this year, but my God. 
Um, but anyhow, on Robbie Cano, if he bats third, then a, a 20 homer, 80-80 type season with, with respectable average and, and OPS is a probable outcome. And by the way, if I'm talking about stat lines on any of these episodes and moving forward, I'm going to speak to them in the context of a full season. That's the frame of reference we're used to. It makes no sense to try to prorate a projection because those numbers, um, you don't need to be doing the, the math in your head on, on trying to extrapolate that back out. So I'm going to speak to them as if they're a full season. If you want to prorate them in your head, you go right ahead. Uh, another ad, sticking in the infield. This is Sean. He's made a few moves. Uh, this one... Cardinal veteran Matt Carpenter. Matt Carpenter's dead to me after I kept him last year on the heels of that monster 2018 season, only for him last year to slash 226 with a 736 OPS, 15 homers over about 130 games. So it wasn't even like it was a, he got his opportunity. He just sucked. I was all out on him this season, but honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if he had a really nice year. First of all, we've got the DH coming to the NL. He doesn't have the greatest defense. That's one other avenue to get his bat into the lineup or one other uh, avenue to get another bat into the lineup that would otherwise take a bats from him, someone like a Tommy Edmund, perhaps. He's slightly long in the tooth at 34, uh, but only a year removed from 36 homers with 190 runs in RBIs, so, and, and he should hit atop that card's order. So, um, you know, we tend to look at the, the young and unproven guys as the boomer bust type players. But a 34-year-old can possess that same uh, high ceiling and low floor as Carpenter certainly does. His, uh, his 2018 breakout was, was fueled by a shift in his approach. He started putting the ball in the air more, really played into that juice ball. Uh, he capitalized on that. And there's anecdotal, anecdotal evidence that the ball is juiced again this year. I'm not just referencing a couple home runs we saw on opening day. But an underlying story of the last week or so was people out in you know, summer camp and these exhibition games and inter-squad games just talk about how it's flying. And I saw one highlight, and, and the reason I saw this is because it, it made a highlight reel because the, the left fielder robbed the home run. But the pitch was to C.J. Crone. It was well inside and about knee level, maybe lower, shin level. And it almost looked like he swung at it just to prevent it from hitting him in the back leg. And this ball, had the left fielder not made a, a fantastic play, would have been a home run. And, hey, I like CJ Crown. He's on my team. He's a big guy. He's got some power. No ball should carry like that. Uh, I have every reason to believe that the, the happy fun ball is going to be flying out of ballparks all summer. So if Matt Carpenter can lean into that, and that's what fueled his breakout a couple years ago, perhaps a really sneaky veteran pickup by Sean. Um, not as big on his next pickup, though. Chris Taylor out with Dodgers, of course. Flirted with 2020 back in 2017. Faded a bit over the last couple seasons. He's still that power speed threat. I love the positional flexibility, second base, shortstop, outfield. The questions are, of course, about the playing time. You've got Gavin Lutz out of the way for now, but the Dodgers would secure another year of control in about 16 days into the season. So 15 now for them. So we might just be a couple weeks away from Lux being back into that playing time mix. Kike collecting four hits last night and five RBIs may have snagged first dibs on the second base situation in the interim out in LA. So the skills are intriguing. Of course, Sean had no way of knowing uh, when he made this pickup that Kike would go off last night and perhaps grab that whole shot. Um, but Chris Taylor's skills, they're intriguing. The questions surrounding his opportunity uh, suppress his value in my eyes. I'm guessing 
uh, he, he's probably back on the wire sooner rather than later when Sean sees someone who perhaps gets off to a hot start and, and is more bankable in terms of uh, racking up plate appearances on a weekly basis. Stop the presses. Keith picks up a prospect. No way. Spencer Howard, top pitching prospect out in Philadelphia, who I fully anticipate. I'm, I'm giving Keith a hard time. I anticipate uh, Howard will be in the big leagues as soon as next week. The Phillies are, they got to keep him down for a week to secure another year of team control. Spencer Howard dominated across single A and double A ball last year, albeit in about 65 innings pitched. Um, however, workload obviously won't be much a concern this season. It's difficult to project the leap between the bigs. It's been talked about ad nauseum how the, the gap between the minors and the majors is the biggest gap between any level. Um, but the major leaguers in camp, including Bryce Harper, were raving about him. So it seems like he belongs. Right now, I look at the projections. projects to be a sh- about a strikeout per inning guy, uh, though it may be accompanied by a less than desirable walk rate. In a season like this, no problem chasing the upside. So I think it was a good pickup and someone that I had starred on my watch list. Another Keith news really quickly, the, the Blue Jays have come out and said uh, Nate Pearson is starting July 28th or 29th. They gave an exact date, and it's like literally the day after they get an extra year of service time. So uh, I guess I commend them for their brutal honesty that they're just straight up saying we are manipulating his service time. We're screwing him out of money. Um, but I wonder how that'll play in the not just the court of public opinion, but during labor negotiations uh, a year from now because or a year and a half from now because uh that's like the, exactly the kind of shit they're trying to get rid of and the jays just straight up admitted to it um but keith will get a little boost there nate pearson um although that move to buffalo i'm gonna speak to that a little bit later not ideal for, for blue jays pitchers cup had a little problem buster posey opted out of the season he needed to pick up a catcher he grabbed carson kelly out in arizona i like carson kelly he was the catcher i left stiffy with for a couple bucks, but I dropped him when it appeared that he would be hitting eight in front of a pitcher out in Arizona. Of course, that's pre-NLDH. This drop took place a couple months ago. Kelly was part of the Goldschmidt trade, so he's a pretty heralded player. He broke out last year as one of the few catchers to post an OPS north of 800. The yellow flag, though, is in the splits. He does his damage versus left-handed pitching, a career 148 WRC plus against Southpaws. That's Alex Bregman level production. Um, however, versus right-handers, which are going to be the majority of the bats he takes, um, WRC plus of 61. That's like Brendan Ryan, Andrew Romine. It's not a good hitter. In fairness, that that number is only over 320 career at bats. It's drugged down by a 200 Babbitt. We know that a Babbitt can fluctuate quite a bit, especially in less than or about a half a season's worth of at-bats. So long way of saying the jury is still out on Carson Kelly, but again, he had to make a move there. Not a ton of catching uh, uh, prospects, uh, not prospects, but options out there. I'm, I know that because I'm looking myself. I'm currently without a catcher. Got a couple, uh, I, my eyes on a couple guys, but Carson Kelly, uh, a good lottery tick to chase, ticket to chase in this spot uh, if you're cup check. Ken, following Keith Lee, dipping into the pitching prospect pool with Brady Singer. He was a first-round pick out of the University of Florida by the Royals in 2018. He was very good, albeit not dominant, uh, across a couple levels for the Royals affiliates last year, single-A, double-A. Pretty polished for a 23-year-old. You know, when you come out of, after a few years of Division I ball in an SEC school like Florida, you're usually pretty close to the majors. Um but still only about 150 professional innings to his name. 
short-term upside kind of remains to be seen because he didn't miss a ton of bats in the minors. Kato, uh, strikeout per nine in the eights. Uh, we all know the ball flies out of the park in the majors, and, and they're going to be putting the bat on it more often than the minor leaguers. So he'll benefit by pitching in the central, which appears to be the most pitcher-friendly division in baseball, but not sure things click for him right away at the major league level. Not quite sure he's there yet, but... I don't know. I don't hate the move. I've said it uh, almost on every podcast. I don't really know that much about prospects. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, Sean went the other way. Super veteran, John Lester. Aside from the benefit of that Singer has of calling the central home, I'm just not into this pickup. I've mentioned Sean is probably the best manager in MK, so there's a good chance he's seeing something that I am not. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I just don't see it with Lester. The skills are eroding. The projections seem to agree. Um, I would be curious to hear Sean's take, because I know he has one um, on, on why he went with Lester here, and maybe he'll surprise us all. But I, I just, I'm not there on him. I had a much preferred one of Eels' pickups in Matt Shoemaker. Um, always a health risk. Shoemaker's thrown only about 125 innings over the last three seasons combined. So. Obviously, he struggles to stay on the field, but in a season like this, you'd think that would be less of a concern. And with that, he's got a career 3-8 ERA, nearly a 4K to walk. Uh, the schedule in the East won't be favorable, and neither will his new home park, as alluded to earlier with Nate Pearson. And uh, the plan in Buffalo, not an ideal place to pitch. But I do think there's plenty of room for Shoemaker to contribute to Eel's staff this year on the back end. Thought that was a nice little scoop. He has a couple more here. This is the Eels Hour. Domingo Santana really liked this pickup. Domingo was an out of mind back in uh, March, but I dropped him to scoop up. I believe it was another pitcher a month or two back. The playing time should be there in Cleveland. A big bonus if he can work his way into the thick of the lineup as it stands right now. I think he's probably in the six or seven spot, which will ding his runs and RBI opportunities a little bit. He strikes out a lot. I think he's north of 30%. But he offsets that with a 357 career batting average on balls in play, over nearly 2,000 plate appearances. So I think we can call that legit. He's just a guy who's going to carry a high Babbitt. Um, an average full season for him over the course of his career is about 25 homers with 10 steals, 75 runs in RBIs, 260 batting average, OPS just south of 800. That's basically Yohan Mankata last year without the 406 batting average on balls in play. Santana's a good player, and, and well, not the first snipe right off my watch list, definitely the one that um, to, to date in this episode has hurt the most because I was definitely trying to find a way to work him back onto my squad. And then another pluck out of my recycling bin, he'll scoop Chris Bassett, the starter out in Oakland, a player I drafted in the middle of the supplemental rounds, but dropped this offseason because there was uncertainty about his role. We've received some clarity over the last week or so. The recent injury to A.J. Puck all but solidifies a spot in the rotation for Chris Bassett. Without geeking out too hard and getting into the weeds, Bassett made some changes to his approach and his pitch mix uh, late June or so of last year and was really good thereafter. From June 30th onward, he posted a strikeout per inning with a 4.75 K to walk, a 1.17 whip, an ERA under four over about 13 starts. So a little more, a little a couple more starts than you would expect in this short season. But if you got those kind of numbers out of Chris Bassett off the waiver wire, Eels are going to be pretty stoked. Should be a good arm for all Eels. My favorite pickup of the year so far, 
There's one recently made by Ferd. I was patiently awaiting a few things to happen on my roster. So I could add Teoscar Hernandez, outfielder for the Blue Jays. One of them on my squad was going to plant my flag um, in, in, a, in a flyer in Hernandez who's, who's flawed. But damn, I love some Teoscar. He strikes out a lot. He's probably not going to hit 250. There's some serious thunder in that bat. This should finally be the year he plays every day, in which he's a near lock for 30-plus homers, prorated, of course. He hasn't run, he hasn't stolen a lot of bases to date, but he's incredibly fast. He's 94, 95th, 94th percentile in sprint speed. Very, very fast. He may never become a base stealer. It's more to more than just raw speed. There's a lot of other skills in being an effective base stealer. Maybe it never comes to fruition. But if you're trying to speculate on a stolen base breakout, 94th percentile sprint speed is a promising indicator. And moreover, as I mentioned earlier, the Jays are calling Buffalo home. And that projects as the fourth friendliest hitters park in all of baseball. It's going to be a nice summer for Jays hitters. And Teoscar is going to obviously benefit from that. So the perfect environment, as I mentioned, he's flawed. He's got a career 780 OPS. He may prove to be a back-end roster guy. He may end up even back on the waiver wire. I'm not calling this as like a slam dunk, but if you're looking for a toolsy guy who could put it all together with a 35-15 type of season, 80-plus, even 90 runs and RBIs, if he really gets in the middle of that order, you won't find many guys on the wire with that level of upside. I mean, obviously you have some guys who just come out of completely nowhere, um, who make changes, whose, whose skill profile never supported any sort of breakout and they just become a new player. Um, with Teoscar, if he does it, we'll be able to look back and go, eh, yeah, we could have seen this coming because there's a lot indicating something's there. Just a matter of if he can put it together. Final pickup is Deke with Matt Strom, reliever out in San Diego. Deke has had some setbacks from injuries and demotions, so he's added Strom. In doing so, he is sticking with his theme of that reliever-heavy approach. Strom last year in a hybrid starting pitcher, relief pitcher role, he struggled a bit in terms of ERA. The Ks, the whip, and the K to walk were excellent. He should dominate this year out of the pen, and the Padres bullpen in general is lights out. Wouldn't be a surprise to see the Padres enforce a quick hook on their starters and, and really get into that pen early in the short season. If they do that, Strom could be positioned for the fifth and the sixth innings, um, which could be prime vulture win territory. So a sneaky good ad here, potentially, by Deeker. Definitely sticking to his philosophy, his strategy from draft day. Got to give him that. Last announcement as we wrap up here is MK Live. Beginning week four at the conclusion of Sunday Night Baseball, I'll have to reshuffle the schedule for the following week and uh, accommodate our, our dynamic scheduling based on this kind of unique uh, schedule we're deploying this year with the elimination weeks and some of the random scheduling uh, for the other teams who aren't on the chopping block. And so, well, I imagine most of you trust I'll do this fairly. I'll go ahead and eliminate any potential skepticism by going live on Facebook, uh, 9 p.m. on Sunday nights. Again, not right away, but as we get closer to those elimination weeks. It'll be a very brief recap of the previous week, a live look at the standings and the, the playoff scenarios and, and elimination weeks as those become a reality. And um, while those elimination games are seeded by the standings, I'll do a live draw of the schedule for the other teams who are not facing elimination. So you know there's no funny stuff going on there. 
One quick rule, I'm not even putting out the vote, I'm just exerting my commission powers because it makes too much sense. When we start doing the drawing for those random opponents in week five and beyond, I'm just gonna go ahead and say that you can't play the same opponent twice. We already have a potentially imbalanced schedule. There's no reason for um, Sean to match up with Ken like three times just based on happenstance and luck of the draw. We'll try to balance that out by looking at those, those non-playoff weeks and making sure guys are not duplicating the schedule. Um, so I'll, I'll make every effort possible to eliminate any of those scheduling redundancies. Uh, but again, you'll see that I'll, I'll, as those redundancies maybe come forth during MK Live, you'll see uh, how those come together as I do the drawing and explain if, if there's anyone who's, any knockouts, any people who, who we know won't be facing each other. So just doing that really for the sake of, of wrapping up the, each week since we don't have a lot to get excited about, at least not a long time frame to get excited about and to maintain full transparency into what will be a, a pretty weird year. So we're at the 20 minute mark. Thanks for listening guys. Opening day is finally here. Hopefully we get to see this season through the completion and crown, but in my opinion will be still a pretty damn worthy champion. All right, stay well. Thank you.